Hello and welcome back to One Foot Down Podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh, back with you for another edition. After a Notre Dame victory, the Irish moved to 4-0 against Massachusetts Amherst, also known as UMass. Got a little bit sticky there for a while in the first half. Notre Dame was only leading 21-20, to and then everything kind of changed after that. They rip off 41 unanswered points on the way to 62 total points, uh, 62-27 win. By the final whistle, Phil's back with me. Um, young curmudgeon, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, ready to talk a little Marion football. All right. Um, I guess this this game kind of started the way we thought it would. Notre Dame kind of looked a little bit sluggish, but eventually went up fourteen nothing. UMass came out uh, for their, th- I believe, fourth drive of the game. Had a false start, first and down and fifteen. Uh, kind of looking like Notre Dame is going to run away with this, pin him deep, get a punt, uh, take a three-score lead early. And then uh, an 83-yard run kind of pops up out of nowhere in the pretty much the rest of the first half except for the last three minutes. Um, kind of turned in UMass's favor, and they almost took a lead there. What was going through your mind there when it was 21-20 or kind of in those moments that led up to that score? Uh, they, it wasn't anything good, I can tell you that. Um, I, I was freaking out, man. I'll tell, you, <laughs> I'll tell you, I was, I was not happy about that. You know, I, the, the defense just—it was an overreaction, and I'll, I'll admit that. You know, I definitely overreacted to the score, um, but I just saw flashes of you know, just horrible things, you know, from like last year and stuff, where it was, you know, this is a team we need to be annihilating. And here we are letting them run with us for, you know, pretty much, you know, a whole half of football, um, you know. And, you know, I don't really mind that if it was against a team like a Northwestern or, um, you know, maybe something a little lower than that, maybe like an IU or I don't know, you know. But UMass is sort of the lowest of the low in the FBS. Uh, and it kind of bothered me that the defense was sort of, especially on the ground, you know, that that, that what we weren't able to just – you know, sort of shut down their run game initially. If they beat us through the air, that you know, that's one thing because that's kind of what they do. But they were, you know, we weren't wrapping up. We weren't playing good fundamental defense. And that just bothered me from the point of view of, uh, you know, things to come. You didn't ever think the game was in jeopardy, did you? I kind of felt like we were scoring enough that I you know, was pretty sure we were going to win. But it was like, is this going to be like a 10-point win? Is this going to be – a 15-point win, I mean, half of the, what the spread was. Uh, it's just like, oh, we're going to have to deal with this all week of, oh, we can't blow up opponents, this and that. Um, did you did you think Notre Dame was going to win? I, I mean, I always sort of figured we were going to win. I just, like you said, you know, we can't let these guys hang with us. You know, we can't make it look like they can hang with us because at the end of the day, you need to, you know, you sort of do need to pass the eye test a little bit. Um, and with that being said, I think it was right after, especially the Fuller interception, you know, where he sort of got the sense, oh, maybe the offense is also going to, you know, got some cobwebs up there and that need to be locked, knocked loose. Um, and maybe, you know, this is going to be closer than we wanted to. You know, I was sort of thinking, ah, maybe we're only going to score, you know, like maybe somewhere around like 38, 40 points and they might score somewhere in the, you know, upper 20s. You yeah. know, low thirties, and it's not gonna, and it's gonna look like this was a ball game, um, or or worse, it could have been a ball game, you know, in actuality, and that wouldn't have boded well for uh, for Notre Dame football going forward. 
it's such a weird game because, you know, mid to late second quarter, here we are sitting on a one-point lead before C.J. Sanders takes back a punt. Um, God bless his soul. It's been so long since we've seen that. Um, but then, on the other hand, there's 10, 11 minutes left in the third quarter, and here we are watching most of the backups and watching Brandon Wimbush. Such a such a way, strange kind of twist there, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we put up 20 points, it seems like, within the first, uh, I'd say, about seven minutes of the uh, of the third quarter. So I think there was just absolutely a flurry of scoring with the with the with the first teams, and by then, you know, to see Wimbush coming in, I think with about eight minutes left in the third, was I, mean, I did not expect that after the first half we saw. I saw maybe he'd get in with eight minutes left in the fourth. Uh, so to see him come in and get all that experience was great. Uh, just on that point about C.J. Sanders, you know, that was actually, and I was kind of surprised by this, that this is the first uh, punt return for touchdown since uh, Golden Tate took one back against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh in 2009. And it's actually the first uh, uh, punt return for a touchdown at Notre Dame Stadium since Tom Zivikowski did it against North Carolina in 2006. Um, and when I read those two, you know, those two sort of historical points, it's, it's that just seems like... I mean, I knew that we haven't done one in very recent history, but I figured, you know, with all those years with Golden Tate here and some, that it would have been, you know, more recent than that. So that that includes opponents as well? No, I don't think so. It's a Notre Dame punt okay. return for touchdown. So I, I trying I, to I, think I'm, of a, an opponent who had a punt return touchdown. Because I know we've had a few kickoff return for touchdowns. I know uh, George Atkinson III did that against Michigan State, I think, in 2011. Um, is one that immediately pops into my mind. But in terms of just punt return for a touchdown, uh, apparently it hasn't happened in Notre Dame Stadium since uh, 2006, wow. almost 10 years ago. All right, so let's kind of talk. get the bad stuff out of the way first. The defense in this game, uh, I guess, had some mental lapses. A lot of talk about you know the run fits were really bad. Uh, Joe Schmidt moving guys around, uh, kind of expecting one thing, and UMass running the ball in another direction that Notre Dame wasn't ready for. Um, you know, I, after I reviewed the, the game and kind of went over things, I didn't really find this was really all that troubling to me. I, I, I've been kind of down on the secondary all season. And, um, you know, they didn't really do anything to change that fact. Um, you know, I, I thought the pressure was good up front, but they're just not really getting better, I guess. Um, what do you think about the defense in this game? Are, it, are you more worried about this Clemson game, or are you just kind of holding steady with kind of your worries and what you think are the strengths? Um, I, 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 I'm sort of stay, trying to stay as neutral as I can and not use this performance as much of a barometer going forward. I mean, because when the, when the defense comes out with a good game plan and they're fired up, they can execute, which we saw against Georgia Tech, although how good Georgia Tech is remains to be uh, seen. Uh, from another point of view – you know, if you take out the 56-yard uh, gadget play that we whiffed on, um, they only had 250 yards passing. Um, I don't, and this is a very pass-happy team. So, you know, there's, there's, they, they were making plays in the secondary. I saw some more things that resembled press coverage than we normally see, which is what we want to be seeing, particularly something you need to be seeing in the kind of defense that Brian Van Gorder runs. I would have liked to see more sacks. I mean, I think we were hurrying the quarterback i don't have any of those sort of stats in front of me but i know we didn't record any sacks um as far as i recall um I think but, you know, two. 
Do we have two? Yeah, I got it right here. Um, Otawalu and Jay had a sack, and we had four, five, six, seven, eight quarterback hurries, which is pretty good. Okay. I mean, that's the thing is we're just not getting home. But at the same time, the sack, you know, it says that Front Apple was sacked twice. You know, but, again, that's by Onwalu. You know, that, that, that means that we blitzed, and that's the only way we're actually able to generate uh, that sort of that right. sort of actual, you know, problem for the quarterback. Um, which is, you know, I, you know, I don't know enough about Brian Van Gorder's scheme to say that that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, if this, as we talked about at the beginning of the season, is this is just going to be a defense as a sum of its parts. Yeah, we might not be seeing a lot of big numbers from the D line, but if we're getting to the quarterback, hurrying him, getting the ball out of his hand quickly, forcing him to make quick decisions, then it's all right. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's good. Um, I don't know, but at uh, I, I would like to see you know, the thing with the defense is, uh, everything. And if this is one of our opponents, I think we'd be more apt to say, Oh, geez, Notre Dame defense, not very good. Uh, look at all the yardage they gave, gave up to this UMass team or look at the points they gave up. But, you know, if I'm looking at a box score and this is Baylor or a UCLA game, I don't, I wouldn't even think twice about, you know, the points that they gave up and stuff like that. I don't know. I, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, we're so close to everything and breaking things down in such small details. Um, like you said, it, you know, they, UMass had like four or five snaps that were really good. And really the, the rest of the, the game, they were shut down completely. So I don't know how much we can take away from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a little math here and uh, basically they had uh, 367 total yards. Uh, if you, Sorry, they had 450 total yards. Um, if you take out the 107 yards uh, that they got in garbage time, which basically I said was the fourth quarter, because we saw most of the defensive starters stay in for the third quarter, and most of the second and third string guys came in in the fourth quarter. So pretty much I took all the fourth qu- fourth quarter yardage as garbage time. So that's 107 yards. You take that out of there. Plus you take the 83 yards to so that one draw play that, for whatever reason, Joe Schmidt was, you know, just wasn't was out to lunch, um, take all that together, and they only had 260 yards total. That's leaving the 53 yards in the gadget play uh, in there because I think one thing that's worrying me about those gadget plays is that teams are seeing now that Notre Dame, for whatever reason, does not defend reverse as well, doesn't ref- doesn't you know defend throwbacks well. We've seen it work against us, against Virginia. We've seen it work. UMass execute that play. Um so I'm leaving that in there because that is something that I hope Brian Van Gorder is at least going to address in the week up to Clemson. So the defense kind of it didn't really have a good game, I guess, overall. Um, although but they, they did, did shut it down in the second half. Yeah, they did. I mean, I mean that's what I was kind of saying. I would have liked for the backups to shut down uh, UMass in the fourth quarter and not get a, a touchdown there in the end because I think that it, it would have helped the narrative a little bit. You know, basically three series in a row, Notre Dame didn't play well, but the rest of the game before that and after was was completely great, really. Yeah, I mean, at the other at the other end of the thing, I mean, there were some some kind of weird things that were going on at the end of that game. I mean, for example, I think there was a time when uh, Niles Morgan was defending. I think it looked like just sort of a drag route across the formation or a slant, I forget. Um, and he sort of backed off in in coverage he probably could have stuck his arm there and defended the pass but it almost looked i think they said on tv that he was looking to avoid a a pi penalty um or something like that and probably eased off a little bit so a couple of things like that 
um, you know, that you just want a guy like Morgan to not be playing with little fear. You want him to be flying around being as athletic as he can be. Um, so stuff like that, you know, you figure can hopefully be uh, coached up and uh, dealt with. And hopefully maybe the brighter lights of Clemson will bring out some more um, aggressiveness on at a moment like that. You know, pretty much the offense had a banner day. Um, we already mentioned the, the interception. It's really the only negative on the day. They did open up with a three and out, but that's going to happen every once in a while. Uh, CJ Prosize, two more touchdowns, 149 yards. Josh Adams, 133 yards. And a touchdown, Wimbush, Dexter Williams, both scored their first touchdowns uh, in a Notre Dame uniform. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser, I believe he tossed two touchdowns. He also ran for another. Um, lots and lots of touchdowns here to talk about. Lots of new faces with touchdowns. Um, let's start with uh, the Wiley veteran Deshaun Kaiser. What do you think about his performance? Pretty, uh, pretty much similar to uh, previous weeks, don't you think? Yeah, I think it was pretty similar. Um, he he's he's got that sort of cool, calm, collected attitude that we saw with Tommy Reese. Now, thank God he can move a little bit more in the pocket and doesn't sort of just, you know, have that same cool calm collected as he throws up a duck for an interception. Um, so that's a positive and that's a good thing. Um, there were a couple of times where he just, he still uh, seems to throw the ball into the dirt a little too much. Um, I think that might be due to, um, you know, he's probably pressing a little bit at times and he's probably gripping the ball a little too tight. I know it was discussed on the site uh, maybe his background as a baseball player could be contributing to uh, a little hitch in his motion or something, you know, basically in the release. Uh, so, you know, there's a couple of things that probably still need to be worked on and that's all okay. You know, for a guy making his second collegiate start, you know, in front of the home crowd, uh, first one in front of the home, uh, no, second one in front of the home crowd. Um, and uh, you know, that's, I thought he played a good game. You know, he, he does, you know, he, he had the interception, which really wasn't his fault. That was all, personally, I think that was all on Wolf Fuller. I mean, he tried to catch that with his chest and it bounced right off. Uh, I think Wolf Fuller, that's something that he continues to need to work on um, is, is catching the ball with his hands um, or it bounced off his hands. Or so, I forget what it was, but it, bottom line, it wasn't a great display of hands by Wolf Fuller. And it just happened to bounce right into the, the cover guy because it was in double coverage. Um, and otherwise, to be honest with you, he really dropped that ball in good. So it it was a good throw on the part of Kaiser. So I think all in all, he had a pretty pretty good day. Yeah, I think the, the throw was kind of up in his helmet. And then uh, Fuller brought his hands up and hit, kind of like to his chin, and it just kind of went through, right through his hands and hit him in the helmet, I think, popped up. Uh, I mentioned that on Twitter. He's like, for how good of a receiver is, he doesn't have great hands. So I wonder how that's going to affect him whenever he gets to the combine and they do all those drills. And, you know, that's pretty much, you know, other than running the 40, that's what they do with the combine. They're going to really look at your hands. and um, That's really something he needs to improve on. Let's talk about the young player. Uh, true freshman Brandon Wimbush finally gets unveiled. Um, you know, everyone's been talking about how skilled he is, how much talent he has. And uh, coming out of this game, you know, a lot of people are like kind of blown away by how much talent he did flash in this game. He only ended up three of five for 17 yards passing, but had the deep bomb to Fuller that was almost caught. He scrambled for uh, another pass that would have been Equinemius St. Brown's first career touchdown that was called back to a legal man downfield. But Wimbush does flash his uh, really good speed for his size. Scores on a 58-yard run, finishes with 92 yards and only four carries, 23-yard average. 
there's a lot to like with this kid. I don't know if, you know, we're going to see him a ton the rest of the year, but it was good to get him out there. And I know a lot of people didn't want to burn the red shirt, but I mean, at this point you pretty much have to, how impressed were you with a, a true freshman in his first game? I mean, I was pretty impressed. He's, uh, you know, he's not running the whole offense. He's not making reads. He's sort of, you know, you know, pitch and catch sort of guy. So uh, sort of uh scheme right now. And that's, that's completely okay. Um, I will say on that one run, uh, he, he was breaking tackles, you know, it wasn't one of those, you know, you see these like 80 yard runs or something where the, the offensive line just opened such a large crease that the, the running back is basically, you know, up to the secondary untouched and now he's gone. You know, he was breaking tackles. He had guys had him around the ankles at times and he just, you know, sort of powered through it, uh, was able to hit that burst of speed and, and get into the end zone, which was very impressive, um, uh, for a young player. Uh, and I, and I think that he, uh, he has a lot of potential. I mean, he showed a great arm. I mean, that was uh, a fantastic throw down to Equimania St. Brown. Uh, unfortunately, it was called back, of course, because it was a run play call that he jumped out of. And, you know, that's a mental error that a freshman's going to make. But outside of that, you know, he's got the physical tools. And, you know, you, you got to think back to when Brian Kelly, you know, said that we had the deepest quarterback situation in the country. I mean, just look at what we got going here. We got two very talented guys and we've lost our first two starters. I mean, we lost, and that was when he said that when we had Golson in Zaire, we've lost Golson in Zaire and still we're, you know, maintaining course here. So you got to be kind of impressed with what Brian Kelly's done with that position. Yeah. Spring's going to be ridiculously crazy. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, we talked about, it. we think, it's probably likely that Zaire is going to be healthy for the spring. Um, and it's just going to be such an inter- interesting dynamic with, you know, Zaire being kind of quote unquote, the most talented or kind of, you know, watching the Showtime series, basically Kelly saying it's his offense uh, and this and that, you know, when he comes back from his injury, it's kind of his team. And then you have, you know, Kaiser's going to have all the experience and who knows kind of what, big wins he'll have under his belt. And then you have Wimbush who might be the most talented of all. Um, I was really surprised. He had a little bit of a weird throwing motion in high school. I didn't really see it on Saturday. Um, I think it was his first completion, maybe his first attempt as well. He, he completed a quick out to uh, St. Brown on his first career catch. And, um, and he just flashed a really strong arm. I don't, it wasn't completely across the field, but it was like, you know, 75% across the field and just nailed it. He's got a really quick throwing motion, which is a little bit different than Kaiser, who has kind of a more of a wind-up, slow throw, slower throwing motion, excuse me. Um, you know, how do you think they're going to use Wimbush from here on out? I would assume we're probably not going to see him this weekend in Clemson. Yeah, I hope not, because I think when we see him at Clemson, it means either one of two things. It either means Deshaun Kaiser got hurt, or DeSoran Kaiser is, I don't know, through three picks in the first quarter and, you know, is totally demoralized. So I really hope we don't see him against Clemson. Or the third possibility is we're blowing Clemson out and we, he comes mm-hmm. in and mop-up time. So, uh, you know, that that's uh, one, one out of three might be good. Um, I really don't know how we're going to use him yet. I think hopefully with the schedule we have in games like against Pitt and against Wake Forest, uh God willing, against Temple as well, we'll be able to get him some action and make sure that he's ready to go. But I think all that we're going to really see is that I don't think we're going to develop a particular package for him. I don't, you know, think he's going to be 
you know, developed enough to where he's going to run a particular part of the offense. I mean, they might be doing that for him, maybe more of a run-heavy uh, option sort of package because he does seem to be a bit of a better natural runner than Kaiser is. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just uh, giving him more experience. It's just going to make, like you said, the spring much more intriguing. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I kind of talked about all off season how I wasn't really looking forward to a quarterback controversy with Zaire and Golson. And here we are, you know, with kind of maybe not to that degree, but, you know, we've we've burned Wimbush's red shirt. So, and, you know, on one hand, I don't really want to see him – you know, coming in, let's just say we're up 17 against Navy. Are we going to see Wimbush come in for a series and, and, and see what he can do? Are we going to do, you know, have him come in for a couple plays and that's it? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him because, you know, people like me don't really want to see any type of controversy, especially if Kaiser's playing well enough and we're winning. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of complaining about burning his red shirt and, him sitting on the sidelines for three or four games at a time and not playing all that much. And kind of with this upcoming stretch here, it's going to be uh, intriguing to see if he ever gets into these games. You know, we got basically the two high right, two, two highest rated games coming up with Clemson and then a few weeks with USC. So um, yeah, that's going to be tough for the the coaches. I don't really envy them now or in the spring because uh, he's talented and you've already burned his red shirt. Yeah, but like I said, I think it's more Kaiser's job to lose, especially because Kaiser has shown the ability to come in at a tough spot in the game and get the job done. You know, I think he would have to demonstrate that he is unable to get the job done. And the offense has been putting up points; it's clicking. Um, like we like we talked about last week, I'd like to see him distribute the ball a little more. But besides just Chris Brown and Will Fuller, um, I'd like to see Corey Robinson and get more involved. I think we saw Alizé Jones get involved a little more. Alizé Jones looked good in this game. He looked very athletic. He looked like sort of the highly touted recruit uh, that we all expected, and I think he's only going to grow and uh, develop his skills more. So I think that a Kaiser can just become more comfortable in his reads and distribute the ball to guys, all the weapons on the offense. You know, with the run game that we have going right now, I think that's good. And let's keep Wimbush just developing because every time he steps on the field, yes, he has the ability to bust a run like that or make a big play, but he's also a freshman. He also has comes with the risk of him making a big mistake like he did, you know, when he had a designed run call and then he tossed it, you know. That, that's a risk you run as well. So I think uh, Kaiser would have to de- just demonstrate that he's not getting the job done first. Uh, before we actually make that decision. Brian Kelly mentioned that um, Corey Robinson kind of hurt his knee. I think it was be- shortly before the, the game this past weekend or in warm-ups or something like that. Yeah. He's only got four catches on the season. Obviously, he didn't play this past weekend. Four catches, 45 yards. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like he's a pretty solid receiver, but I'm not – like two worked up about him not playing. Alize Jones has six catches for 75 yards now. That's pretty solid for a true freshman. You think, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I think one, one third of the season through. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely good stats for a guy who's coming in, you know. Um, he looks like he's also been pretty decent in the blocking game as well. And, uh, you know, that's part of being 
you know, a tight end at this level. I think another thing with Corey Robinson is for whatever reason, we kind of alluded this to this last week, is that our passing attack really just seems to be deep bomb to Fuller, comeback route to Chris Brown, and maybe a, a tunnel screen to Wolf Fuller. I mean, that seems to be all of our passing attack. You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But, yeah. you know, and a lot of the things that Corey Robinson did very well, particularly, I mean, if you go back to the Florida State game, you know, he was, um, you know, going across the field on post routes, um, on digs across, you know, you know, across the middle of the field. You know, however we got him, and we were hitting him in stride, and he was making plays. And I think that's where he excels. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just because of, you know, inexperience on the part of Kaiser and Zaire that we haven't been throwing those across the middle routes because Brian Van Kelly, sorry, Brian Van Kelly, Brian Kelly is uh, uh, afraid of throwing an interception and, and turnovers, and they've become sort of a gun shy on that. Uh, and that's why he hasn't been utilized. But I think what if we start seeing those routes showing up again, um, I think we're going to see more Corey Robinson. So, you know, we had a couple of other players that had nice days. Amir Carlisle uh, probably had one of his best days, if not his best day in an RDM uniform. Five catches, 52 yards. He had a couple of nice runs. Actually broke a tackle. I've always been critical of his uh, penchant for not breaking tackles. I think he took a quick screen. And guy came up and popped him, and he broke the tackle and made a nice run out of it. Um, so he had a nice game. Um, Chris Brown had a couple of nice catches. Uh, we really haven't seen a whole lot of Torrey Hunter. Um, we, still did waiting on... jet sweep. we had the jet sweep, though, from, from Torrey Hunter, I think, which was a good uh, – I'm pretty sure that was a good game. Uh, that was two games ago. Yeah, that was, that was – Yeah, and the Georgia Tech game. He didn't log oh, a rushing attempt. Um, All right, my bad. C.J. Sanders had his catch for zero yards. I think he had a – a screen and that got blown up. Finally got him on offense. He's another guy. I think they got to start easing into the offense eventually. Yeah. Too he's di- a real dynamic. Yeah. Too dynamic. Um, anything else you want to talk about with the offense? No, I mean, we, we forgot the big guy, CJ pro size. I mean, he is having a hell of a year. I mean, he, he, I mean, he's, he's becoming a workhorse and he's, I, I have never, I did. I, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I did not expect him to be as patient a runner, as almost as natural a runner uh, as we've seen so far for a guy who was recruited to play safety. Oh, um, no. I mean, jeez. Anybody could have. I mean, I think you got to chalk it up to the kid for having a lot of natural talent, but I think you also got to chalk it up to Audrey Denson because I think I saw somebody mention somewhere on one of the boards on the internet that these running backs look like him when they're running that they have this sort that they have this patience um, to their running, you know, willingness to follow blockers. That was sort of the hallmark of, you know, his career at Notre Dame and eventually in the NFL, you know, so you gotta, you know, give credit where credit is due, you know, that he's getting these guys prepared, you know, and if he was able to prepare CJ Prosize and Josh Adams and Dexter Williams to such a degree, you kind of got to wonder, you know, if Terry Folson stayed healthy or Greg Bryan had, you know, finished the schoolwork or whatever, you know what? You know what we'd be looking at here because if that was the caliber of coaching going on, you know, you gotta wonder sometimes. Yeah, there's this isn't a slight to Folson at all, but um, you know, I feel like he there's probably thirty to forty running from him. Um, I don't know if we can really say that about the way. Procise is playing right now. 
just to put things in perspective, last year Folston led Notre Dame with 889 yards and six touchdowns. Proceis yeah. is already at 600 yards and six touchdowns <laughs> through four games. And I think he's on pace to break the uh, rushing average set by George Gipp. So, I mean, Jeez. that kind of has it all, you know, the, yeah. the total yardage, the average, the, the scoring. He's doing it all. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine if, you know, I've kind of talked about limiting his touches in some of the some of the games where Notre Dame's winning, but if they get him going in the passing game too, I mean, it could be an un- unbelievable season for him. He's also, you know, I didn't mention this, he's also obviously on pace to break the single-season rushing record at Notre Dame by a pretty fair margin. So, you know, he could probably take a step back or two and still challenge for that uh, rushing record, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and that's one thing that you mentioned that I did want to bring up was that uh, get him more involved in the passing game. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think he – we don't see in Brian Kelly's offense for whatever reason uh, a lot of wheel routes coming out of the backfield. Um, sometimes we'll throw the screen and whatnot, but I think, uh, you know, with a such a dynamic player and such a strong player that he is and with the history of being a slot receiver, I think this offense would be very well served with him coming out on the wheel out to the, out to the boundary, um, just helping him get that edge all that much sooner. Um, and, uh, you know, breaking those, a few of those, cause I think that could be a very effective play if they can uh, develop that. All right. Uh, I guess that'll wrap up our talk on UMass. We've got a big game again this weekend against Clemson. Um, kind of give me your, your thoughts on Clemson. I, I kind of like Clemson. I don't know why, you know, Notre Dame hasn't played him and, Gosh, I don't really know how long it's been. I'll have to look that up for my preview. Um, I like their colors. I don't really care for uh, Dabo Sweeney, Sweeney all that much. But, uh, you know, I, I can't really say that there has been, you know, players on their team that I've disliked all that much. I kind of like C.J. Spiller uh, uh, living just outside of Buffalo. I liked him when he was with the Bills. Um, looking forward to this game. Um, I just love the – you know, when Notre Dame gets to play in these big games at night, uh, Death Valley, um, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. But what do you kind of think about Clemson? Uh, just general thoughts uh, from not really playing them all that much. I mean, I, I've watched a few of their games. I watched them against uh, Florida State last year. Um, I know Clemson has a penchant for doing Clemson-y things. Uh, which mostly involved choking in the last minute in a game that they look like they could win or upset or something like that. So that's, I think, in recent years has sort of been their legacy is that they uh, they don't always answer the bell um, at the very end in some of these games. And sometimes it takes a very bizarre way. If you remember that Florida State game, it was kind of bizarre at the end because uh, that was the game that uh, Jameis Winston wasn't playing in because he had been suspended and whatnot. Uh, and just just never seems that the bounces go their way, and they're always sort of in the they're like a Wisconsin almost that they're always sort of in the conversation. Uh, they're always ranked, but they can never really seem to make much headway. Um, I think for the same reason, both of those teams, you know, have a dominant uh, team ahead of them in their conference. You know, Florida State in the ACC, and Ohio State or Michigan State in in the Big Ten for Wisconsin, you know, so I think that that's sort of their legacy. I mean, they were kind of pedestrian against Louisville. They only won 20 to 17. Louisville, I should mention, is 0-3 uh, this year, so this isn't exactly um, a bunch of world beaters over at Louisville either. Um, 
And I think we should come out with a victory in Death Valley. I think it's going to be, you know, probably it's going to be the biggest game of the year so far. But, you know, hey, that's Notre Dame football going forward. We're going to have a lot of those between USC and Stanford. Call it a win. I'm calling a win. Um, I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to, you know, uh, mimic to a certain degree the intensity and the hopefully it mimics the, uh, you know, the vast majority of the Florida State game last year, just minus the uh, uh, the laundry on the field at the end. Uh, but I think that this is going to be a good game. I think Notre Dame should win. Um, and I'm looking for a big performance. I'm looking for our defense to come out amped. Um, I'm looking for them to be flying all over the field, and uh, I'm looking for Brian Bangorda to get them, you know, up to play this game. And I think the offense will just keep doing what they're doing. See, I I don't know if I I haven't made up my mind yet. Obviously, I got to write my preview, and I'm not sure which way. I think it's going to be a really close game, and um, my hunch early on is it's going to be low scoring, kind of a lot more defense than people are expecting. Um, a little bit scared about. Deshaun Watson catching fire. I, mean, I kind of was reading some stuff uh, around the internet. And it seems like he's not really been himself yet this year. He's coming off a knee injury. He's been banged up early in his young career, but um, you know he's he's so talented. And, you know, obviously Clemson has a lot of skilled skilled talent at receiver and running back. I think their offensive line's pretty suspect, but I don't know how much we're going to be able to take advantage of that especially uh, trying to get after Watson. But um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. The one thing with Clemson is, you know, we kind of – you talked about a little bit um, just kind of the recent past with them and there's been a couple of people on the site saying that they've been overhyped. But if you look at their record or just like the games they've lost in recent years, especially since they've got good since 2011, and I just wanted to bring up some of their losses. They lost to Georgia Tech in 2011. That was their first loss. I think they opened up seven in a row or something like that. And then um, they lost a couple weeks later to NC State. But since then, all of their losses have been to ranked opponents, number nine, South Carolina, uh, number 17, West Virginia in 2011. And then 2012, lost to number 10, Florida State. Obviously, the Seminoles have had their number quite a bit in recent years. Um, and then their second loss that season, you know, they went 11-2. That's pretty dang good. Uh, a loss to number eight, South Carolina couple years ago um a loss to number one florida state obviously uh, perhaps the best florida state team ever and then a loss to number four south carolina and then last year their last few losses uh number nine georgia number five florida state and number eight georgia tech so notre dame is highly rated so it's not like the irish can't come in there and maybe win this game or even win by 10 or 15 points but you know this is a really good clemson program this isn't exactly the Clemson from four or five years ago that consistently lost to some subpar, subpar teams. And, you know, at least last year and the year before that, Notre Dame still trying to shake that, shake that off the program. So I'm excited to see, uh, you know, kind of how this game plays out. I know Clemson opened up as a favorite and I think the last time I checked, it's swung kind of towards Pickham. So I don't know if the Notre Dame money's come pouring in or what. So, uh, but obviously, you're you're gonna just pick up. You're gonna pick it right now on a, on a Monday, Monday night before the game. You're gonna say Notre Dame wins the game. I think they win. But I mean, I'm I like I'm saying like like you're saying is that it's gonna be a close game. I think it might be decided by um, a touchdown or less. 
I think it, I don't know if it's going to be like a shootout, not like a shootout, but you know how it depends on who has the ball last. But I think between Notre Dame's running game and the offensive line that we have, um, I think the defense is going to be able to do enough um, to, to get us, to, to, to keep us in the game. And I think between, you know, if you want to double Will Fuller all the time, you know, okay, great. We'll throw it to Chris Brown, throw it to Corey Robinson, Torrey Hunter, you know, Isaiah A. Jones, the list goes on. So, you know, I think the offense can put points on the board. You know, this is probably going to be the toughest defense we're, we're going to face. But I think uh, the Irish can pull out the victory. All right, you guys can check out my preview on Thursday. As always, Thursday morning uh, at onefootdown.com. Uh, really looking forward to this game. Hopefully we'll have a couple more things Clemson-related throughout the week. Um, tonight I hope to have another um, kind of humorous post up for everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that, and we look forward to this big weekend. Hopefully Notre Dame moves to 5-0 and and kind of cements themselves as a true playoff contender heading into Navy week. Uh, and so we'll be back um, next Sunday night with a recap of Clemson. I'm Eric, that's Phil, and we will see you guys later.